Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 142. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Matt, what you up to on this lovely day? I just went to a local tournament and saw two of my kids get golds today, and that was pretty awesome. And yeah, had some dim sum with the family and going to go out later on for a movie, I think, with the wife. Nice. What movie? The one with Anthony Bourdain. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the one where they used artificial intelligence to bring it back from the dead. That one? (laughs) Is that what they did? That is what they did. It's freaking scary what they can do now. Yeah, they used artificial intelligence to simulate his voice, to have him do voiceover on the movie, even though he's passed away, which is actually terrifying. Yeah, I know. With the deep fake stuff that's going on right now, it's like, it's not going to be long before people are framed for things they didn't do. (laughs) It's going to be fucking crazy. Yeah, I am quite concerned about the deep fake stuff. It is going to be an interesting next 10 years, I think. But anyway, on the topic of stuff that you should or shouldn't believe when you see it in video, what we wanted to talk about today was, of course, BJJ instructionals. Is that right, Matt? That's right, which is such a it's such a vast topic. And of course, now instructionals are so readily available by some of the world's best grapplers and coaches And well, it is an excess amount of material out there. And, you know, it's kind of it always reminds me of that moment in the Matrix where Neo downloads Kung Fu into his brain. And it's like, (laughs) fuck, I wish I could do that. (laughs) I know Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. It's like, man, why can't I do that? Why can't I just have all the knowledge? But unfortunately, it takes a lot of time and patience and Honestly, it's a skill to be able to digest instructionals and and to know kind of what you're looking for. So hopefully I was thinking about uh, discussing some of those things. Do you think instructionals and deep fakes will ever get so good that we'll have deep faked instructionals that are just completely AI generated like a fake Gordon Ryan making up fake techniques that's totally plausible? Like you look at it and you think it's real, but it's actually not. I think it's more likely that we see we we see like a Helio Gracie instructional. <laughs> It's it's just a deep fake Helio teaching instructional. But yeah, it it couldn't be worse. It couldn't be worse than that Hicks and Gracie instructional I keep seeing where he's wearing a flak jacket and he's holding mitts for some blue belt chick. Over his gi. Yeah. By the way, by the way, if you have not seen this, Matt sent it to me and I thought it was hilarious. It's a Hickson instructional of him wearing a flak jacket, which is already weird enough. I know that some jujitsu instructors do this when they're doing their combative self-defense shit. They wear like military gear, but he's wearing a flak jacket on top of his fucking gi. It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He's got like a gi on and then he's got a bulletproof vest on top of it. Yeah. And he's got he's got like this. uh this like blonde blue belt. Okay. And I'm like, I'm just Steve. I'm like, you know, this guy's like a legend in martial arts. He's a legend in the Gracie family. He could literally have like anyone has his okay. And he picks this random blue belt girl that we have no idea who she is. And I don't know. It's just kind of, it's just kind of strange, right? He's got access to a pool of the greatest and most famous grapplers in the world. So I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, and this is maybe something we'll even get into today on this episode. I feel like with a lot of instructors, once they, they get old, they kind of miss the plot. And now they're, they're teaching stuff based primarily on reputation. That's just not cutting edge anymore. And I mean, I haven't seen this stuff from Hickson. I don't want to say it doesn't work. I don't want to say it's bad, but I just want to say that the thumbnails are hilarious. Yeah. Any anytime where people are teaching secrets or, you know, invisible, like he he teaches his invisible jujitsu, 
and kind of leaves it kind of has a mystique based around his system, then I don't know. I'm not really interested in that. I, I like when people can tell me exactly what's going on and exactly, you know, can, they can conceptualize and, and structure their systems in such a way that not only does it work for all body types and sizes, but kind of anyone, any skill level can learn it. I think that's a more valuable characteristic of a good instructional if I'm on the market for some new material. So I feel the same way for me. If your instructor is relying on mysterious mystical tropes like invisible jujitsu, I mean, I know that probably there's a lot there and I'm certainly not going to say Hickson doesn't know what he's doing. But at the end of the day, it kind of comes across as a cop out like this is just something that can't be explained. It's magical. And really, it shouldn't be that way. If you're a good instructor, I think you should be able to break down exactly why things are happening and how they're happening without having to rely on hand-waving. And so for me, when you see people saying things that are kind of hand-wavy like that, it harkens back to the days of traditional martial arts. And I kind of see that as like a, an orange flag if that comes up in an instructional yeah, and I I don't mean to shit on Hickson at all. Obviously, like he's accomplished a lot in MMA and in jiu-jitsu and just what he's done for the sport. And I was having this discussion with a friend a few days ago. I can't remember if if there was a name for it, but it's the idea of, you know, these legends in our sport, if you compared them in their prime to let's say like a, you know, like a Mikey Musumeki mm-hmm. nowadays in his prime. It's just the skill level is so different, right? And the reason being is because we have access to all of the knowledge that these guys never really had. And we would not have, arguably, we wouldn't have the knowledge or the sport wouldn't be where it is today if uh, if it wasn't for people like Hicks and kind of paving the road. So we can shit on these guys and be like, oh yeah, you know, they're not uh, up to date. They're not current. They've kind of, they're resorting to these, you know, to mystique around their techniques or whatever. They're, they're just, this stuff isn't as applicable as current world champion material. But on the other hand, we forget so easily that, you know, without them, we wouldn't be where we are because they're, well, for example, looking at the kids at the tournament today, I'm looking at these kids and they're under 10, both of them. And I'm, and they're so good already, you know, and I started when I was 20 and I was thinking, well, when these guys are 20, they're probably going to be pretty close to black belt, if not black belt at that point. And the only way that that's possible is if the sport moves forward, the instructors and black belts essentially get younger as the sport moves forward. I remember when I was first starting out, you know, the the youngest black belts around were like 30. And now the youngest black belts are, you could even go under 20, which is friggin' crazy, right? And you would never get that 10, 15, 20 years ago. So because the sport is advancing so far forward and we have access to the best techniques the most current technology and literally our communication technology has increased to such a high degree that we have instant access to all this material. And uh, yeah, there's almost an information overload. And as a result, we have kids nowadays that are just at such a high level. It's, it's, it's insane. And this would never be possible unless there were guys like Hicks. And so sorry, Hicks to shit on you. (laughs) (laughs) We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Really? We're not taken away from the accomplishments of these guys. I mean, without people like Carlos Sr. and Helio and Hickson and Horian and Hoyce, we don't have jujitsu. And for what they did at the time, it was obviously groundbreaking and top of the game and revolutionary, but the game has changed and evolved so much built on top of the work that they did. I mean, I fully expect that if you were to build a time machine and pull those guys in their prime into the present day, they would just get squished. They would have no chance against the level of talent that we have today just because the caliber of athlete involved in this sport and the progression of knowledge has evolved so much that the stuff they were doing decades ago just would not stack up. And that isn't meant as an insult. That actually is kind of the highest of compliments that the work that they've done has grown and evolved beyond them, which ultimately, if you want to have a legacy, should be your objective, right, is to build something that grows and beyond your ability to carry it yourself. A hundred percent. Like, there's no way... You know, you put Hicks in a, in a no-gi match with Nikki Ryan, you know, both of them in their prime. Like, honestly, Hickson would get smoked. You know, Nikki's just the knowledge of leg entanglements alone is enough to, you know, it's enough to take take a match if you want it. Or, you know, you put him against like a Barambolo specialist. You know, I'm not saying he can't Barambolo or he doesn't understand the Barambolo, but 
the level that that move has developed nowadays, it's very likely that he would get caught with something like that. And the reason why we have the technology we do now in jujitsu is because guys like Hickson. So again, it's kind of, it's kind of like when you watch, you know, we're Canadian and if you, well, at least I used to watch hockey, you'd look at the goaltenders from, from nowadays versus the goaltenders from when I was just born and the, you know, the pads are way smaller and just the style is not as good. And it kind of looks like a joke, you know, like back, back in the seventies, eighties, the goaltenders are just, they can't stack up to, the athleticism and the gear and the and the understanding of the game that the goaltenders have nowadays. And it's just it's because the sport has evolved. And that kind of thing only happens because, you know, the greats have laid the work and and sort of furthered the sport during their time. So that's kind of how I look at it, too. You know, I, I started the sport when I was 20 and now I'm I'm 33. And nowadays kids are starting when they're like five. So when by the time they mm-hmm. get to 20, my job is make it so that they're that much better than I was when I started and they can pay it forward as well when they become black belts and whatnot. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool. And like you said, I think the most flattering thing is when, you know, your students can finally fuck you up. That's, that's the best thing because you realize, oh, I've actually made a difference and sort of helped this sport move forward. Maybe that's why Hickson wears the flak jacket is to protect himself so his students can't beat him. (laughs) From Sharon. (laughs) Well, all of this raises an interesting problem, and everyone has been there, which is in a world that is overloaded with instructional content, how do you choose the instructional content to invest your time and your money in? I remember when I began jiu-jitsu, and this was not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, the world was completely different, and the jiu-jitsu landscape was completely different. I remember... If you wanted to learn a new cutting edge technique, you, first of all, you might not have even heard of it, but in the off chance that you do hear about it, sometimes it's just like rumors and whispers that some guy out of New York is working on some cool new thing that no one's ever seen. And if you're lucky, you might be able to find some competition footage of this thing working and maybe be able to reverse engineer it in practice. But that's a very different world from where we live now, where pretty much Anything you could ever want to know about jiu-jitsu is easily found in terms of instructional content. And often you don't even have to pay for it. You'll probably get the best quality stuff if you shell down some money. But even if you're just looking for free stuff, there's a ton out there. I mean, heck, look at this podcast. If you want to learn jiu-jitsu, we've got like about 150 hours worth of content here just on BJJ Mental Models alone. That's pretty much free for you. So that doesn't even get into YouTube and the things you'll find there. Yeah, like when... When I was a kid, there was no YouTube. There was no instant transfer of information. In fact, I'm not going to say when I started jujitsu, there was no YouTube because I'm, I'm pretty sure there was YouTube at that point. But there, you know, there was there was a few BJJ channels like I think Jason Scully was one of the first ones. And it was it was. Yeah, if you needed to learn something, I didn't start in the the dark ages of jujitsu. I, I, I was starting kind of around when Marcelo was making his mark in the early 2000s mid 2000 no no it would have been later 2000s it would have been the and, late 2000s we started around uh so he'd he had already won ADCC and stuff like that and and you know things like X guard and butterfly guard were becoming more popular and there was definitely ways you could get material when i first started but you flash back even 10 years before and there was nothing there was no youtube there was you know you would have to basically get an instructor, most likely from Brazil to come to your school and teach a seminar. And then really like, what do you get out of seminars? You know, a lot of the time it's a, it's a meet and greet. You might get one or two details that are really fantastic. But other than that, you can't replay it. You know, quite often they don't let you film. And it's just, it was way harder to get access to new information and new content. And like you said, you basically would have to watch matches and sort of, you know, try and replicate what you see and try and figure out what they're doing. But nowadays, my God, like if you go on BJJ Fanatics or Grapple Arts, you can go on there and it's just it's it's a library of instructionals from the best in the world there. You know, they've realized, OK, there, there was like a shift where these guys went from not wanting to share any of their secrets to now realizing that it can be monetized and they're trying to put all the material out so that they can get paid for it, which makes total sense. And this was evident to me most when the DDS guys started doing like leg lock instructionals, because for the longest time, it seemed like Danaher and those guys were keeping it secret. You know, 
maybe five, five, 10 years ago when leg locks were sort of just becoming really well utilized in competition. I would say even just five years ago were they really becoming well utilized and they were still, we didn't really know too much about them. We knew that they were effective. We, they were kind of frowned upon. The mechanics of, of how they worked and, and the context as to when they worked was still hazy at best. And it was kind of like a secret thing. Like they, it was pretty obvious that they didn't want these secrets to come out. In fact, my professor got in shit from the managers of Gary Tone and Eddie Cummings at, at one point because he was, he was trying to use some of the mechanics that he had been taught in a uh, privates that he had done with Eddie Cummings back when he was with Danaher Death Squad. And this was a whole public thing. And, you know, the, the Danaher uh, managers were contacting Rob and saying, oh, this is plagiarism and all this stuff and all this shit like this. And uh, the fact is, is, is that people wanted this material. This was like very highly sought after stuff because it was working at such a high level. And for the record, the shit that Rob was showing and that I that we all thought worked five, six, seven years ago was not good. It was it, compared to the mechanics of today. It was very, very off base, let's just say. So, you know, we were all just trying to figure out what these guys are doing and we're all just striving for the best mechanics. But but long story short, there was a shift where now these guys went from keeping everything a secret to now wanting to show everyone everything or or at least making the make it making it seem like they want to share everything with us because they know that there's monetary gain. And I think that's kind of the natural progression of the sport because it is such a it is such an arms race, you know, so you want to win in competition with this stuff. And there comes a tipping point where now people are starting to see what you're doing in competition. They can see you're, you're using the same techniques over and over again, and they're trying to replicate it. And then it's like, okay, we've won championships with this. We've won tournaments with this. Now let's show everyone, or at least, you know, maybe keep some information for ourselves, but show people kind of what we're doing so that we can actually profit off it as well. Yeah, I remember when I was new to jiu-jitsu, and I think this probably would have been back in the late 2000s that this happened. I remember there were rumors going around that Marcelo Garcia had invented some new game-changing type of guillotine. And I remember looking all over the internet to find any sort of evidence about this thing and how it worked. And the only thing I could find was a secondhand clip of Matt Arroyo who claimed he had trained with Marcelo Garcia and Marcelo had showed it to him. So now Matt was trying to teach it and it got recorded and wound up like on YouTube. And that was the only clip anywhere on the internet that at least I could find as to how to learn what today we call the Marcelo team or the high elbow guillotine. It was the only thing I could find. And that's kind of crazy if you look at the world today. I mean, today, if you want to learn the high elbow guillotine, you can learn it directly from Marcelo. You can probably just go to MG in action, and I presume he has it up there. I'm sure that it's taught on a ton of other instructionals by other people. And failing all that, I'm sure that if you want it for free, you can find it on YouTube. And it, it's yeah. funny, it reminds me of when I was a kid, and surely you can relate, Matt. Remember back when we were children... If there was a TV show that you wanted to watch, maybe there was one, two good TV shows worth watching at the time. Maybe there would be a good movie coming out every few months, a cool video game, and you would wait for it and wait for it. And then it would come out and you'd have to work your schedule around getting it and you'd get it and you'd play that damn thing for months and months and months or whatever if it were a game. But today you look at the landscape and the problem we have today is the opposite. There is too much stuff. Yeah. So. If I were trying to learn how to do the the high elbow guillotine today, my approach would be totally different because back when I started, the hard thing was finding the information in the first place. Today, the hard thing is sifting through the massive amount of noise to actually find the information that is valuable and useful. And then you get into questions of vetting it, right? How do you know which of these various instructionals is actually the best one? Which one teaches the best job? Or maybe they all teach a good job, but they all show different relevant details. And instructionals can wind up being a massive rabbit hole that you go down to the point where you're spending all of your time and money just watching this stuff. And whether or not you actually get anything out of that, I don't know, because I remember when I started getting really into instructionals, I mean, it would get to the point where I was spending so much time just watching this stuff that I was kind of trying to absorb too much information at once, and none of it really resonated in a meaningful way. I think that if you want to get the most out of instructionals, you have to make a practice of studying and applying an instructional. So I think if your approach is to just watch 
everything that you can find once. I think that maybe what you'll get out of that is probably less than if you actually had an applied study practice for watching all of that material that you find out there. I 100% agree. You know, you can you can have access to all the instructionals in the world, but if you don't have the time to watch them and make notes, however you make notes, however you like to absorb information. Personally, I don't make notes, but it, you know, if you have the time to do it, you also have to have the time to apply it. Like you said, these things take incredible amounts of time. You know, we use the matrix. We hearken back to the, the matrix where Neo just simply uploads the information into his brain. And then all of a sudden he's a master of Kung Fu. It's like, unfortunately, we just can't do that. But the material is all there for you to learn. And when it comes time to selecting an instructional, you know, there could be multiple instructionals on guillotines. You know, uh, Josh Hinger's got one. John Danaher's got his front headlocks. You know, I'm sure eventually we'll have Gordon Ryan doing a front headlock DVD. Marcelo's got like the, the complete guillotine. You know, all these guys have instructionals on seemingly the same material. And a lot of the time, they're probably going to show you the same stuff through different eyes. But which one is the best for you? And I think when it comes to selecting instructionals, it's very important for you to kind of, you know, it's going to sound funny, like kind of gain a relationship with the instructor. And I don't mean a personal one, but I mean, like you find out what type, what style of instruction works best for you. I have a lot of people come and tell me, that they love Lachlan Giles' instruction. And it's great, but for whatever reason, I get more out of watching Danaher's instructionals. I, I like Danaher's teaching style. I like Gordon's teaching style. And I like Gary and I like Rob's teaching style. And for some reason, I'll, I find that when I stick with these instructionals, I seem to, for whatever reason, I just get more out of it. And I think another thing when it comes to ins- selecting instructionals is, well, you got to really look at your game and say, well, what am I good at? What systems do I use all the time? And what systems do I know nothing about? And then realize that when you watch an instructional on something you know nothing about for, let's say, lapel guard, right? You're going to watch an instructional and it's literally like learning a whole new position or a whole new language where you have no prior information, like, like let's say a lapel guard. I mean, it can be very, very overwhelming. And you have to go into the gym and put it into work because you're, when you're watching it, you're like, okay, I I can't really imagine what that feels like. You know, like when I put myself in that position, it's going to take, going to take some time and reps in that position before I can even imagine what that technique might feel like as I'm watching it. But let's say I, you know, I'm a big fan of like Kimura's and, 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 you know, I mean, at this point in my career, I'm pretty much well-versed everywhere. Let's say I love Kimura's when I watch Danaher's and Kimura instructional, I know probably 80% of the material I'm watching and I'm not trying to absorb a holistic system. I'm basically looking for small details here and there that are kind of hidden in the instructional that are just game changing. And that happened to me literally a few months ago when we did the Kimura module, you know, at my school, I, I put on the Danaher and Kimura instructional. Like, okay, let's see sort of what he says, watched it from the beginning. And then I, I realized like, I already know all this stuff, but every maybe once an hour of footage, I would get one or two details. I'm like, oh, my God, this is like game changing. And then I go apply it in the gym right away. My game was enhanced to a high degree just because of these details that I was getting that I didn't have before. So that can happen. And I think when you're a when you're a black belt and you're trying to do further study on systems that you're already really well aware on. It's important to not, you know, you're not really watching instructionals anymore to absorb an entire system, but more so just those little key details that you may have been missing and they can really enrich the way that you use those systems. And, and that can have a dramatic effect for your entire career from then on. Yeah, that's a really great series of points there. First, I would add on and agree with what you said about how different instructors can all technically be good and maybe one is not necessarily a better instructor than another but they just have a way or a method that resonates with you and i agree with you on the lachlan stuff i find that uh, lachlan's approach is very clinical and very specific to individual techniques and of course you know seeing myself as a concepts guy that's never really resonated with me i'm the kind of person who would rather listen to someone just sit down and talk for 10 minutes about ideas and then from there i can use that to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together in my own mind 100 percent. 
Yeah, I know, though, that that is that's just me. A lot of people hate that. A lot of people, yeah. when they get an instructional and the instructor is just sitting there and not showing anything, they they skip that part because they hate it. They want to see the techniques. Yeah. But that is an approach that for me, that kind of just like bombard my head with all of these details approach. It just doesn't work. I need to have someone explain to me exactly why you do the things that you do. And if I mm-hmm. can understand all of that and all of the concepts and mental models behind it, then it's pretty trivial for me to actually piece or even invent the technique in my own mind once I understand the mechanics and the ideas. Whereas a lot of other people, they want to just go in and see how you play K-Guard and drill it 800 times. And then for them, that's how they learn. And that's an important consideration is that you might have two instructors who are teaching the same thing in very different ways. And they're both technically very good at it, but for some reason, some of those instructors, their method might just resonate with you better than others. That's definitely been an experience for me. And and I've also found that certain types of information lend themselves better to being attacked from from different angles. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is that we teach jujitsu without having a visual element. And that means we really only are able to talk about things like concepts. And that means that We have to engage the mind of listeners in a different way than we would Mm -hmm. if we just turned on a camera and said, okay, do what I do. And I find that that approach, if you can hit something from multiple angles where you have a lecture-based long-form discussion like we do here on BJJ Mental Models, and then you supplement that with some visual examples, I find that can be helpful rather than just trying to watch the same thing over and over again. So uh, what I would suggest is, I mean, if you love Lachlan's instructionals, for example, if you're only ever watching Lachlan's stuff, then you could fall into a trap where his style is showing you one side of the one side of the box, but there mm-hmm. are other elements that his style is not getting into. And rather than just watching all of Lachlan's stuff and only Lachlan's stuff, you probably want to supplement with opinions from other people because what you might find is they fill in some of those missing aha moments that you're just not going to get seeing only one person's point of view. So I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they pick a favorite instructor and they only buy the DVDs from that person. And in a lot of ways, I see that as a very similar problem to people who never leave their home gym and they only ever train with their instructor because they're only ever getting one point of view. It's the same thing. And that's not to shit on any of the famous instructors out there, but I'm just saying that no matter how good one instructor is, they're going to have their own slant on how to view things. And the best thing to do is to kind of see the shape as a whole. And the way that you do that is by looking at other people's points of view too. Definitely. And I think, you know, you hit a lot of great points there and it's true. If you only watch one instructor or, you know, you, you swear by only one person's material, you, you will kind of get a lopsided view. I tend to pick guys that are you know, like I really like the DDS guys. And one of the main reasons is because they're some of the best in the world at what they do. You know, like Gordon's undeniable and Danaher as a coach is undeniable. His knowledge is undeniable. So I tend to go with those guys, but I will get really cool insight on certain positions from watching Lachlan, like his backside 50-50 stuff or Ryan Hall. You know, when, when that stuff started coming out, that was stuff that at the time, Danaher and Gordon didn't really have any material out on the backside 50-50. And then I saw that I'm like, oh, holy shit. There's up until then, I was just working off of like the Ashigurami base system. I wasn't really going to the backside 50-50 position. Uh, in Danaher's leg lock instructionals, you know, enter the system leg locks, he didn't even discuss that attack vector. And, I, and then I saw Ryan Hall show that, you know, famous for his victory over BJ Penn. And I was like, man, like, what's that heel hook? Like, I haven't seen that heel hook before. It's an inside heel hook. What position is that? And I saw him break it down. And forever then I was like, you know, chasing the backside 50-50 and the the backside saddle positions. Those are just like my favorite attack vectors now. So it is important to always leave your mind open to other stuff because there is other ways, you know, I'm not going to say it is or it isn't, but like there could be other ways that are better to learn than when you watch Danaher teach something. That being said, probably my favorite instructor that I've seen just because of the mixture of raw technique and conceptual approach. That's one thing that I really like about Danaher and Gordon's instruction is the fact that there is a combination between concepts where they're just discussing ideas and techniques. And let's be real. I mean, watching Gordon Ryan, his teaching style is 
quite similar to Danaher. And he uses a lot of the same language, the same mannerisms even. And obviously that's his professor. So he's working off of a lot of the same technology, but just contextualized in a different fashion. But yeah, I mean, that is, you know, you're always going to find different things from different people, even if it's the same system. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, if you if you watch different takes on it, because all it does is it gives you a wider view and you could like, you know, just we we're discussing about picking up small details. That's really why I watch instructionals nowadays, unless it's a brand new system for me, something that I'm, I have no familiarity with. I'm usually just watching to get that, you know, that one detail every half hour or whatever that could be totally game changing. And I'm I firmly believe that you can just discover that one detail that will literally change your journey. You know, like you, you could, you could be so good at arm bars or Kimuras or whatever. And then you see that one detail that just kind of puts everything into context as to maybe now you use that move in a different time or you realize like, I'm really good at that move, but I'm not really good at getting to that move or, or I can kind of get to that move sometime. And then you'll watch an instructional and they'll be like, okay, when my opponent does this, that's when I know to do this. And you're like, holy shit. Now I know how to, and now I, that's like an excellent way for me to apply that technique that I didn't even have before. And then you go to the gym and all of a sudden you just can't stop finding that technique. It's everywhere, right? And these things happen all the time in jujitsu. So long story short, I mean, you should definitely find, you should definitely seek out different, different instructors and get different views on techniques. But generally, if I'm going to select an instructional or if I'm going to choose a, uh, an instructor to follow I'm probably going to pick someone who's well-established, someone who is specializes in that system. For example, if I want to learn a worm guard, like, you know, I'm going to go to Keenan Cornelius because he's kind of the inventor of that position, right? It makes sense to go for that. Or if I'm going to learn leg locks, it makes sense that I want to learn Danaher's system. Maybe it's not the only system that I'm going to learn, but I want to see how he teaches it. I want to see the mechanics he uses. And then from there, we can branch off. Definitely. What you mentioned there is something that I think is also important to touch on, which is that different lessons resonate at different points in time for different people. We're not all going to have the same breakthrough moments at the same time in the same places. Maybe there's a light bulb moment for you that's going to go off that's different from the light bulb moment for me. And that might also vary depending on how far along we are experience wise. You brought up a good example which is that when you're early in your journey, if you're looking at a system for a brand new time and it is totally foreign to you, then the way that you will learn it is probably different from if you're experienced with it and you're fishing for new insight details. I find that if I am trying to refine what I would call traditional jujitsu, you know, this is something that I've been doing for over a decade. I have a pretty good handle on it, so I don't need someone to walk me through the nitty gritty. The way that I attack that is similar to what you talked about, where maybe you already know a lot of what's there, but by going through someone else's approach, you pick up a few key insights, but you don't really need to have that foundation built for you. But on the other hand, if I'm learning something I've never seen before, like if I'm new to leg locks, I mean, I suck at leg locks. If I'm new to leg lock systems, I can't just jump into something and have that base of knowledge and just have assumptions about what I know. You have to then build up that platform for me so that I can get to those breakthrough moments. We talked about that prior on earlier episodes, an approach that we just call incremental learning. And the idea being that there are phases to learning and you can't just in info dump everything into someone's brain at the same time, like Neo in the Matrix. You have to start off with a very foundational platform, and then from there you build on that, and eventually, ideally, you get to a point of mastery where you already know most of the basics, but you're just adding in little details here or there that you might not have considered prior. Yeah, and of course, when you're watching an instructional, you have to learn how to retain the information. I'm pretty sure we had an episode on retaining information, and that really is a skill all its own, you know, because everyone learns in different ways. Me, I'm a very visual learner. Like uh, it's been that way for me for cooking and basically anything that I've ever done in life. I learn so much better when I'm watching it and I try and replicate it. And jujitsu is no different. I never really got too much out of making physical notes and writing them out. Although I know a lot of people who do that. A lot of people carry like a notebook and they take notes that way. It's not really something that I've ever done. I generally like to watch something a few times and even I'll watch it and then come back to it 
maybe next time before I move on, I'll, I'll sort of do a brief overview of what I watched to see if I can regurgitate it in my mind. And then when I take it to the gym, I'll try it out. And then when I go back and I watch it again, I'll be like, oh yeah, now that is set in my memory. I can now say that that is a technique that I have fully absorbed. But personally for me, you know, if, if I was to recommend one of my white belt students, if they came up to me and said, hey, I got this instructional, you know, what's the best approach? I'd be like, don't watch more than a half hour at a time. Personally, for me, anyways, I know people that can watch instructionals for hours, which I don't understand. Any more than a half hour to 40 minutes for me, and now we're starting to see negative returns, I just can't remember it all. And I want to keep it fun and fresh in my mind when I watch an instructional. So if I know that I'm just going to have to go back and repeatedly watch it over and over and over again because I couldn't, my brain couldn't take all the information in, then, you know, it's it's not really a positive thing. So personally, for me, I like to... I like to just watch short clips of it and then come back to it later. So if I'm watching an instructional and all of a sudden I get one of those tidbits of information that is valuable for me because I am a visual learner, I just pull out my phone and I just make like a one minute clip of that portion of the instructional. And then you, when you go to the gym, you have all these like short little clips that you can work on. You're like, okay, this is something I I know I'm going to want to work on, or this is something that I didn't know before. And I know that I need to watch over and over again. I just make a short little clip and then that way it's so easy to take in the information that way. So, you know, you could take notes, you could do that. But I think one thing remains true, and that's that it's all useless unless you can actually at some point try the technique. So like I had people during the lockdown say they did nothing but watch instructionals, but they had nowhere to try the techniques that they learned. So they, you know, they come back and they don't really know what they're doing. They just they have all the the knowledge that they've watched, but they haven't had any mat time to actually implement it. So you really need to use mat time to be able to troubleshoot it and to actually feel the technique. You can't always just watch it. Yeah, that's a mental model called effortful retrieval. On episode 93, we talked about that with Cal McDonald. Basically, it's going to be really hard to retain anything unless you actually make work to put it into practice and to try to bring it back out of your mind. A mistake I used to make all the time with instructionals is I would just watch them once and then I was done. But the problem is that doesn't really help you retain information. It just kind of goes in one ear out the other. You have to build in a practice to help yourself recall it and apply it. And that's how you move that around in your brain such that you can actually apply it and recall it effectively. So if you're having trouble recalling things that you watched, there's a good chance that you're not making enough effort to apply an effortful retrieval practice. That is where notes can be very useful if you want to do that approach. You'll probably find, unless you're doing something with like spaced repetition and flashcards, you'll probably find that you don't really go back and consult those notes as much. You can do that. There's approaches you can do like spaced repetition to do that. And we've talked about that before. But even just the practice of Taking the notes can be very helpful because by taking notes, you force your brain to recall what you learned. So even if you write down those notes and then you throw them away and you never actually look at those notes again, the practice of taking the notes themselves can still help you improve your recall because now you've strengthened those neural pathways in your brain by trying to recall the information again. So effortful retrieval, very important if you want to try to retain information. If you're just watching an instructional and then putting it back in the drawer, you're not getting any value out of it long term, most likely. Really what you need to do if you want to get value out of an instructional is come up with a practice where you recall that information either by taking notes. But of course, I mean, for jujitsu people, the gold standard is figuring out a way to apply those lessons on the mats. If you sit there and you spend five hours watching an instructional and then you just go to the mats and you train exactly the way that you always used to train and you don't do anything different as a result of watching that instructional, then there's no effortful retrieval. There's no repetitive practice that will help you strengthen those neural pathways to make it easier to recall and manage those things. So That is a huge mistake I personally have made when it comes to how I absorb instructional material is I will just watch it and end the practice there. You brought up a fun point about just the last year and a half with the pandemic and everything. I mean, I've been off the mats most of that time. And because I wasn't training, I mean, I had to make that decision. Do I, you know, do I sit around and just do shadow drills in my house for a year plus? Or do I just take all of that training time and 
channel it into, you know, just watching instructionals. And I didn't. What I wound up doing instead was actually channeling all of the time into building the podcast. And as a result, I started networking with and speaking with some of the, you know, the brightest minds in the sport. And I actually found that that practice probably was more beneficial to me than if I just did shadow drills or watched Danaher instructionals in my place. Because if I'm on a call and I'm recording and speaking with someone about these ideas, and then I have to go back and edit that by listening through it again, and then I have to publish it and administrate it and push it out there onto the internet it forces me to go through that material over and over and over again. And the end result that I actually found is I feel like, and I mean, I can't prove it, but I feel like I probably learned more about jujitsu doing that than if I had just done shadow drills in my apartment or if I just watched instructionals that I bought online. I think just that fact that even if there's not a physical element The fact of working with your mind and forcing your brain to work makes you so much better at retaining and applying this information. Yeah, I don't find too much with shadow drills and solo drills. I only really get actual benefit out of that if I'm practicing like a core movement. Like if let's say I'm a beginner and I've never done a Gramby roll like or an inversion, that makes sense. But if you're if you can do all these core movements and nothing's new to you, I mean, I don't really get much out of like drilling on a dummy. I'm pretty sure we've discussed that before. Yeah. But what I do get a lot out of is the portion of instructionals where, like you said, where they might just sit there and talk about ideas like Gordon does it, Danaher does it, Ryan Hall does it. And that's where you don't really need any mat time repetition. You can just listen to these ideas and, and immediately take them into your take them into your memory bank. Whereas if you're learning a new technique and you can't visualize what it might feel like, then, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to actually go in and, and put this into use. Another thing is you will realize that there's many instructionals on different guards, whether like an open guard. I know Lachlan's got like a K guard series. And of course, Danaher and Gordon, they have open guard series and the philosophies are very different. Lachlan quite often talks about how a lot of the time he favors guards where his where he has the outside positions, such as like De La Hiva and that segues into K guards and things like that. Whereas Gordon's philosophy on his instructionals are always, always feet on the inside. That's interesting because how could these two very, very high level grapplers, world class grapplers have conflicting philosophies, right? And again, I think it's important to realize that There isn't a right or a wrong way, but there is reasons for why they might prefer a particular style. And it could be related to body type. It could be related to their favorite attack vectors. It could be related to the fact that, you know, Gordon does only no gi as opposed to gi grappling. You know, if you go gi grappling, it makes sense to have your feet on your opponent or feet in the outside position. However, if you're playing strictly an Ashigurami based game, it makes sense for your feet to always come back to the inside. So I think that that's important to realize that you will watch instructors talk about similar subject matter and have completely different philosophies on when and and how these positions work. And I just always contrast it. I don't think that one way is right, one way is wrong. I think it's all useful at the right time. And it's all information that can be absorbed. And, uh, and I just try and keep my mind open when it comes to when it comes to learning new information like that, because I, ca- I can't say that I didn't learn from Lachlan's performance at the last ADCC, you know, when he was using K guard to heel hook all these monsters and get to the backside 50, 50 position. I was like, well, this is an attack vector I've never seen before. Like I need to, I need to know what he's doing. Cause when you watch Gordon and Nikki and, and Taza, they're all just feet on the inside. This guy's doing something completely different, you know, and watch Craig Jones. He's doing the same thing. So that why, why would I discard that style? It would do nothing but diversify my attacks. So I see it totally as a benefit to appreciate the differences in their philosophies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also important to note that when you're evaluating all of these different concepts and different instructors, I think that a, a trend that I see now is and this makes sense. There's obviously a desire to go first to the the biggest name in terms of instructionals, right? Danaher, Lachlan, the DDS guys, they dominate in terms of instructional sales and rightfully so. But I think that sometimes people make a mistake and they think that only these guys should be listened to. I've seen that a lot where people will say things like, well, why should I buy uh, an instructional from this other guy when I could just get it from Danaher? 
And I think, I mean, obviously, it's it's a good heuristic to go right to the person who is most reputable and best known as being a good instructor. It's going to save you a lot of decision-making time if everyone else agrees that this stuff is taught well, it's taught at the highest levels, it's applied at the highest levels. But that's not the only place you can learn from. And sometimes some of the best lessons come from very unexpected sources. So I always encourage people, don't discard someone outright just because they're not John Danaher. Obviously, you want to have a slightly more critical eye, especially if they're saying something that contradicts all of the best in the world. But they could still have a point. Or even if they're not completely right, maybe they at least have a new slant on things that opens your eyes up into a way that that we hadn't thought of before. Lachlan and, and his team focusing on outside attacks are a great example. I used to always advocate inside channel, inside channel, inside channel. And I have to acknowledge now that that is not the only way to do things. It is the way that I often do things, but that is mostly because of the way that I was taught and my particular goals in jiu-jitsu, which involved mostly getting small, getting underneath my opponent, keeping my limbs retracted. That plays very well into an inside channel game. But there's a lot of awesome people who don't do that, right? And they go around the outside, they try to reap the limb. That is just as applicable, although the the philosophies that a person like that is going to use are totally different from an inside player. And that's an important thing to understand is that sometimes, like you said, people will come to completely opposing solutions to a problem, both of which might work. And it's sort of an individual decision as to which one is better suited for you. It kind of depends on your goals, your body type, that kind of stuff. And that's something that you always have to evaluate, which is just yet another reason why it's so important to absorb different views on how to do this stuff. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting how some instructionals have some different learning tools within them. So one one great thing that Gordon always does as an instructionals is he does at the end, he does rolling footage of the system that he's showing. So if it's like open guard seated, he'll play a, the seated position while people try and pass his guard. Or if it's a guard passing instruction, it'll just show him sparring with people and just wrecking their guards. And then after, he'll also do another chapter where he narrates the footage so you can see exactly what he's doing. When I watch like a half hour of him teaching and then I watch another half hour of that, that really, for me, ties everything in because it's similar to watching like it's almost like watching competition footage in a way. I mean, obviously not to the same level, but but you can see the techniques in action. So for whatever reason, I just I make those connections in my brain where, okay, like now I can see when he's going to use it. And when he explains how he's using it, it really helps me learn. I also like instructionals where they mention you know, like some drills that you can do if you're learning a system or you're learning a family of techniques and they all require you to have a particular body position or a particular movement drills that are based around that system that can make you more fluent in that movement. I find are really helpful on instructionals. I also, (laughs) and this is something actually a little bit unrelated. I have people all the time. I I always share with a few students of mine because they, they watch instructionals too. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, have you seen the new Danaher? Have you seen this, this, this? And they're always watching instructionals on 1.5 speed. And I'm trying to do that because I know it saves time, but I don't necessarily know if it's more beneficial necessarily. <laughs> the only time I could see that being beneficial is maybe with Danaher because he speaks slowly and, and he's <laughs> he's very repetitive, right? And I think he does yeah. that because it's a learning tool. Like I think he teaches that way yes. because because he can that repetition and that slow burn kind of is used to ingrain inside your memory bank. And these guys are always talking about watching it on 1.5 speed and two speed. And I'm just like, I just don't get as much out of it when I do that. I know it takes more time, but generally that is not as good for me. Although I know a lot of Mm -hmm. people do that. I want to talk about this for a second because it harkens back to what I I mentioned at the beginning of this episode and how when you and I were kids, there was only so much content out there. And now we're 
just totally bombarded with it because this is a real problem. I have heard the same thing that people say, I listen to Danaher on 1.5 X. I have heard people say they listen to BJJ mental models on 1.5 X, which blows my mind because I know I talk fast, so I can only <laughs> imagine what I must sound like at that kind of speed. And I think that a lot of this is because we live in an era where there are constant demands on our attention and there is a never ending just waterfall of content coming at us and we feel pressured to get through this this content fast so that we can get to the next thing because after we finished danaher's first eight hour instructional we got 10 other danaher instructionals all of which are eight hours that are lined up after that and that's just danaher then you got to go through all of his students and then you got to go to the others and i think that as a result people pressure themselves to say, okay, I got to watch everything. I got to watch it fast, get it done so I can move on to the next thing. But like I said, I am not sure if that is a good practice for actually retaining information because it's not really effortful retrieval. You're kind of doing like a sprint through the content. And I just don't see how you can really get the best retention out of it. I feel like a slower, more deliberate practice of reviewing the content and coming up with a way to apply it is probably going to, I mean, if anyone here out there, you know, is like a, a psychologist or a scientist and knows this stuff, please do write in and tell me. But I feel like if you take a more deliberate approach to learning and you try to systemize a way to apply the stuff that you read and you revisit that content, you're probably going to retain it better. I recorded a premium episode with Emily Kwok recently, who trains under Josh Waitskin and Marcelo Garcia. And Josh Waitskin is the, the guy who wrote the book, The Art of Learning. And one of the things that she she said was that he is very deliberate in his learning approaches. When he wants to learn something, he goes all in on it and it becomes all consuming and it becomes an area of very, very deep study. And I would say that that probably runs contrary to the way that a lot of us process this kind of content where we're just trying to get through it so we can move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I really like actually in terms of like kind of systemizing your your notes or structuring the instructionals in your brain that's one great thing that Danaher actually does at the beginning of every instructional is he takes the concepts and i guess sort of how he builds a system on the on the instructional and he will put it right in front of you before he even shows anything he actually starts every instructional with it's it's kind of like a little 15 minute movie where it's got like it's got like the piano playing. It's like doo -doo 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 -doo. And, and he's like, there are five main families of or there's five central problems to to leg locks or whatever. And, and it, so he's already kind of building subheaders where you can see, OK, this is how this, the instructional will be structured. This is how he makes a system of it. And it just it's for me, it's an awesome learning tool because, well, first of all, like he, he's a bright guy, like everything he does is well organized and put together. But it just kind of like now when, when you go in and you learn the techniques, he'll always come back. To, he'll always reference those systems at the beginning that he's talking about. And it's just it just for me, it builds kind of like a blueprint in my mind. It kind of like uh, it helps me file the information away a lot better. And it's, to my knowledge, he's kind of the only guy that does instructionals like that. Not only that, but as the cool music's playing and as he's describing the different families of, let's say he's got like, there are five families of Kimuras or whatever. You're like, whoa, holy shit. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Like how, there's five families. And then as he's describing them, there's live, mm -hmm. there's live footage of him or his students performing the technique in demonstration. So you can see as he's describing, okay, there are, you know, there's five Kimura families or whatever. One is with the legs, the leg Kimura. There's the you know, the T Kimura and he's like describing them. And as he's describing them, you now have a, you now have a visual tool that you can memorize and associate that system with in your brain. And for me, it's just like, it's one of the most valuable parts of his instructionals because you can see the technique being used and you can, he puts it right in front of you and he's using also a uh, text like it, like you'll have headers mm -hmm. on the screen. So it's just for me, such a good way for me to actually learn the instructional. I find some of the best parts of Dan Hur's instructionals are the first chapter because he has that segment and then he'll also lay out all the introduction, all the, you know, the contextualize when you use the techniques and talk about all the different systems that you're going to learn within this in this system. So that's one thing that I think he does really well that I get a lot out of that. 
Yeah, I very much enjoy the sandwich technique there of teaching where you don't just show the thing, but you introduce the idea and then you get into the guts of it and then you summarize afterwards by kind of recapping what you went over. That's how I like to teach classes and I find it to be a super powerful way to get stuff to stick with students because the problem I always had starting jujitsu, and I'm sure you had the, the same problem starting roughly around the same time as me, is I hate it when you just walk into class and your instructor sits down and says, okay, armbar day, and they just show the move, but they never explain to you why you're doing this or what the mechanics are that actually make it work or how this ties into a strategy. And if you don't get the technique right away, as 99% of students won't, then you're fucked because the instructor never recaps it. They just go right into sparring. And so I find that that degree of repetition where you introduce an idea, then you have the the long form guts talk about the conversation, and then you recap it at the end is so helpful. That's one of the reasons why I try to break the content of these shows down into mental models. And then at the end, I will often recap what we talked about is because that one, two, three punch of repetition makes it so much more easy to remember ideas than if you just tell people things once. Yeah. And, and people always tell me, oh, I find Danaher boring. Like I find it repetitive he's slow, you know, and all this stuff. I just, and it's, again, it's like people are so used to getting information quick and as quickly as they mm-hmm. can, but he's doing that for a reason, you know, like that, that's yeah, his yeah. teaching style. And it's super effective. At least I find it super effective for me. I, it, it's really easy to remember the stuff. And yeah, like you mentioned the sandwich technique when he, like one of the great things he'll do is he will not just say, okay, we're going to learn these five types of Kimuras, but he's also going to say, these are the three central problems. Like basically he's telling you when you're doing this move, these are going to be the reactions of your opponent. So you don't even have to ask right away, like what can go wrong? He's like, these are the things that are going to go wrong. They're either going to slip their elbow inside or they're going to get a better head position or whatever. Like these are the things that will make your attack fall apart. So right away you're like, okay, well, I know that as long as I prevent these things from happening, I'm going to have an effective technique. And, and just just the way he layers in the information like that. And again, it's much more of a, it's not just an instructional of techniques. Like when I first started, if you, if you ever watched instructionals back then, it was like, okay, you're just going to watch moves basically. But it's a much more of a, a holistic approach where he's talking about you know, the families of the techniques and the problems the things that can go wrong and, you know, basic concepts where he's literally, there's just clips of him talking. It's not even him showing mm-hmm. techniques. And for me, that's where I get the most out of it. Honestly, that's because you can really apply those, those concepts to a broader scope rather than just like, okay, these are the, these are the nuts and bolts of the system. These are the actual moves that we're going to learn. I find I actually get I get less out of those, but I will say nowadays, because, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm a black belt now, I'm basically watching instructionals to just get details on mechanics and insight as to when to use the moves. Those are kind of like the main applications. Every now and then I'll learn something completely new and I'll be like, whoa, that was like really good. Now, you know, now, now my eyes have been open to that where, where before I had no prior knowledge to that, but that's pretty rare. Most of the time I'll just learn like a small detail and be like, wow, I've been doing this move kind of subpar my whole journey. And now that I know that detail, that move is like 70% more effective now. So those little things can be found, you know, in at the, at the most random times. And I think that it's always right in front of us. We just have to be able to identify it and, and find those things. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I, I mean, I think for me, that covers all of the points I wanted to make. Matt, was there anything else that you wanted to add here in this discussion that we didn't get into? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I think that was a great discussion on instructionals. It's, it's an overwhelming topic, honestly, and I think it can be frustrating trying to learn everything at once. But man, if you if you take your time with instructionals and you and you uh, you just chip away, right? Like a little bit each day. If you can watch instructional for like 15 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, it's it's crazy how good your jujitsu can get. I'll say this, yeah. as, as a professional instructor, 90% of the shit that I teach, I learned in the last four years, you know, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy to think about. Like everything prior yeah. to that, I don't really teach that stuff anymore because I've I've kept trying to learn and you find better ways to do things. So now like I can honestly say in the last three to four years, I teach that stuff more than anything. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to just keep, keep learning. Definitely. I would say that for the 
last half of my jujitsu journey, I've spent that time trying to teach people not to do the things I did in the first half of my jujitsu journey. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah. I think that's emblematic of exactly how fast this art has evolved. Like I started jujitsu when you did. And I mean, a perfect example is I remember we were taught to do these big explosive hip bumps from the bottom and big exaggerated shrimping movements to get out of bad positions. And now I advocate the exact opposite of that approach to people who are on the bottom because you just open yourself up so much if you do big explosive movements and that kind of stuff I find only works on like the whitest of white belts. So it is funny how in a, a relatively short, at the, in the grand scheme of things, jujitsu career, I'm basically having to advocate to unlearn the things that I was taught at the beginning because that knowledge, in my opinion, has already been made out of date and, and not useful compared to the things that we do today. For sure. And just to just to kind of tie in what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, I mean, the technology is just it's increasing at such a high rate now. There's so much information coming out there. If you if you just do a little bit of due diligence and try and learn some of it, man, like it, it's crazy how good your your jujitsu can get. And if you're an instructor, if you're not in, if you're not studying and learning, you're going to end up one of these guys who just kind of falls behind, you know, even locally here, there are instructors that are like that, who basically have stopped trying to learn more about jujitsu. And it's, it's, it's obvious, you know, it's through, through their students and, and through their teaching. So you have to stay ahead in this game because jujitsu is an arms race. The arms are out there for everyone to get, but you do have to put in the time and the money and the effort to actually absorb the, to absorb the information. Technically, it's also a legs race too, if you want to be pedantic. Yes, that's true. Why ignore 50% of the arms? <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's just recap the concepts that we talked about here today. First and foremost, we talked about idea communism, which for those who recall earlier chats, not actual communism. Uh, this is a concept that was proposed by a sociologist a long time ago. Basically, the idea is that the free sharing of knowledge results in more rapid innovation than trying to hoard secrets. And that change, that paradigm shift in jujitsu in the 2000s is one of the things that led to such an explosion of development in the art. We talked about learning modalities, the idea that trying different approaches and looking at problems from different angles can help you learn a lot faster. In the context here, that means not always relying on the same instructor or on the same instructional, but looking for other slants to approach a problem. Incidentally, that's what BJJ Mental Models is all about. We use this audio approach because it is such a different and unique novel approach to teaching that nobody else does. We talked about concepts versus techniques. I mean, I ultimately think that the, the way to accelerate your learning over the long term is concepts. But at the end of the day, you also still do need to put individual repetitive drilling and techniques into practice, especially if you're very junior. Because the example I often give is, you know, if you've got a newborn baby, you're not going to try to teach them grammatical structure. You're going to teach them some basic word repetition and build on that. And it is kind of hard to run before you can walk. I tried to teach them triangles. <laughs> I tried to teach them arm bars. <laughs> we talked about incremental learning, the concept that you can't learn everything all at once. You cannot download a whole martial art into your brain. So a good instructor and also a good learner will break things into chunks and always be trying to move up to the next level, but understanding that you can't learn everything all at once and the right lesson for you at your point in your journey might not be the same as for someone else. We talked about effortful retrieval, the idea that you have to make your brain work to recall knowledge if you actually want to be able to recall it effectively. So good learning practices involve not just being one and done with the content, but actually going back and revisiting it and making your brain work to bring it back into the forefront. We talked about spaced repetition, which is a powerful technique of retrieval. If you want to use flashcards and stuff like that to really drill stuff into your brain, spaced repetition is a very powerful concept and a very powerful method. And uh, you can actually check the show notes. And I got a write up linked in there. And we talked about cognitive load. If you <laughs> expose your brain to too much stuff at once, you can actually wear out your brain, not permanently, but you can actually tire out your brain to the point where it will not be effective at learning anymore. So it is important to understand that trying to take in as much stuff at once is not always the best way to actually making your brain work. It is good to make sure that your brain is always consuming a digestible amount of data rather than trying to just cram everything in like Neo from the Matrix. 
So with that said, Matt. Although that would be fucking sweet. <laughs> oh, dude, I can't wait. I can't wait. Like, I, I'm a little bit worried about having a headphone jack in the back of my head because, you know, you think computer viruses are bad enough. Can you imagine if you get one of those in your brain? But other than that, the idea of being able to just learn everything in a second, it does sound pretty great. Would save me a lot of time. I mean, we're probably going to have problems like that in the future if all this <laughs> yeah. if all this shit continues. We're basically becoming more and more like machines, so... Who knows? Maybe one day we'll be able to upload the information right into our brain. It's possible. Yeah. In which case, you won't need this podcast anymore. So that would be. So, so fuck. I hope that doesn't happen. and on that note if you want a really unique and novel way to learn jujitsu i do recommend you check out bjj mental models premium that is the subscription site where all of the gold tier courseware content we've got is if you want to really dig deeper into these concepts that's how you do it you can go to premium.bjjmentalmodels.com to check it out i did mention earlier that we're in the process of knocking off a really cool instructional series on there with emily kwok talking about things like peak performance. So do check it out. I highly consider you do. There's a seven-day free trial. You can cancel whenever you want. I'll definitely do my best to make the value there for you. Premium.bjjmentalmodels.com is the way to do it. And of course, if you're not up for that, but you just want to throw us some bucks to keep the lights on, patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels is an option as well. So you got two different ways to do it. Matt, really awesome chat. Thanks so much for dropping by. I thought this was a fun one and I'm glad we finally got to do this. Oh, fuck yeah, bud. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the chat. Thanks you to everyone who supports the show. Yeah, thanks everyone. Talk to you guys next week.